price, the precious blood of Jesus. Bought, your life has been bought not with things such as silver and gold, but with the very blood, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. That's how precious we are. And Father, today we want to thank you as your people. Because of that, you would never ever miss an opportunity to be in a moment like this, where your people come together. We want to thank you today that as your church, even as we gather in weakness, even as we gather in changing times, strange times, we thank you that right in the middle of it all, you are here because you love us so much. We thank you for every other church across Newport, across Wales, up and down the country gathering, whether they're gathering in homes, watching via the internet or TV, whatever they're doing as your church, Lord, we thank you. You never, ever stand on the outside looking in. You're right in the middle of it because you've given your blood for us, Jesus. That's the evidence of how much you love us. You didn't just come and say a lot of nice things about what you want to do. You went ahead, hung on a cross, bled and died, went into hell, rose on the third day, and are forever seated in heaven as God raised you from the dead and gave you the name that is above every name, whereby every knee will bow in heaven, on earth, and even under it. We want to give you thanks, Jesus. You are our Lord. You are our Savior. You are our refuge and strength. The name of the Lord is a strong tower into which the righteous run. Oh God, we thank you for this wonderful, glorious life that you've provided for us, you're with us. And uh, if God is for us, church, who can ever be against us? We thank God, don't we, to be just loved by him, looked after by him. Our security is in him. Hallelujah. Amen. Well, listen, just before we begin our... Uh, the message that I'm going to bring to you this morning. I want to thank you, you know. We've all turned up to church in our masks. Some of us have got some trendy masks on. There's a lot of different masks in this place. And, uh, but I want to thank you for coming here this morning, wearing your mask, just being faithful amidst the changing times that we're in. Do you know, wow, it's amazing, isn't it, how just one week there can be such a drastic change. But I want to thank you, just as together we're wanting to follow the guidelines of the government. And, you know, you listen, you put on the TV and you listen to some of the news and there's a lot of criticism aimed at our politicians. A lot of criticism and a lot of open fire against health minister and the prime minister. And do you know what? We're not called as God's people to criticize our government, are we? And there's a lot of backbiting and fire going on 
But we're told, instructed and guided from the Word of God to pray for those who are in authority, to pray for kings and rulers and politicians and councils. They don't need our criticism at this time. They need our prayers. So I want to encourage you. I want to thank you following these guidelines in church with our masks on, faithfully here to worship God. But also I want to, I want to encourage you Keep praying for our government. Let's keep praying for them to make the right decisions, for them to, you know, um, going the right direction, and also for this critical fire to just stop. You know, I think sometimes governments just need to have a coalition in a crisis like this. I think they get a lot more respect, and I haven't really got any political bias, but I think it would be really great if there was a good example from from, from some of the politicians of, of opposing parties just to turn around and say, do you know what? In a crisis like this, as a country, we are going to have a coalition government and fight this crisis together and we're going to speak good of each other. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Maybe we should pray for it. Maybe we should pray for our government. So thank you. And let's, let's take that encouragement from God's word just to pray pray for those who are in authority. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to continue on in this series of messages that we've been looking at. A hopeless ending or an endless hope. A hopeless ending or an endless hope. What I've said over the last number of weeks as we've looked at the Word of God, the Scriptures, is this, that it's impossible for a child of God a believer to ever come to a hopeless ending in life impossible because we in Christ have an endless hope now that doesn't matter whether you're a young person young in your faith or an older purpose an older person you can never come to a hopeless ending in life because in Christ Jesus you and I have an endless hope. Now, we may go through difficult times. The Bible says, Jesus in fact said, hey listen, trouble's going to be ahead. You're going to be persecuted. People are going to actually say all kinds of evil about you. But take courage when that happens because the spirit of glory rests upon you. So the glory of God sometimes attracts trouble. The Spirit of God, the Spirit of life inside you, the light that exudes from you as the church of God sometimes attracts all kinds of trouble, all kinds of persecution, all kinds of evil being spoken about you. Jesus said, don't worry about it. Don't fight or contend with it. Don't waste your time trying to defend yourself. Just encourage yourself that the spirit of glory rests upon you. No, having an endless hope in Christ Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that we won't go through troubling times. It doesn't mean to say that there won't be some difficulties and some dark times and some sorrows in life. But David said this in the Psalms. Though weeping may endure for a night, joy comes in the morning. Joy 
overcomes, wipes away, removes all those sorrowful times. You see, the default for the believer, the default for the child of God is never sorrow. It's always joy. In the presence of the Lord is fullness of sorrow. I don't think so. In the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. Joy is your default. When you look at some of the times in the Old Testament and the New Testament, in the most severest times, when the church, the people of God suffered most, that seemed to be the time where they experienced an overflow of great joy. No, joy is your default. And even though no matter what you're going through may seem hard, it may seem contrary to the word that God has given to you. The times in which we live may seem strange. I tell you, your default is joy, not confusion. Your default is joy, not depression. God, God loves his church smiling. I believe that. God loves his people full of himself. And when he fills us as he does, this joy just breaks out of this, of this life that we have as we walk through this world. And we attract others and we are carriers of this life and carriers of this joy in him. The Bible talks about hope and it gives us wonderful descriptions about it. This hope that we have in him. This endless hope, you see. It tells us actually, Paul in, I believe it's Romans 8, says that we have been born in hope. The moment you got born again, you were born in hope. Then Peter, in one of his letters, says that not only are we born in hope, but this is a living hope that comes from the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Living hope. That means it's growing. Anything that lives grows. It never stays at the same place. It's not static. It doesn't regress. It grows. It progresses. It advances. It develops. It gets more colorful as every moment passes. This living hope, living hope expands your expectation. It opens your mind. It excites you. It gives you a reason to get up every morning. It gives you a reason to go on through. Living hope. This is what we have as a result of Jesus Christ. As a result of his resurrection Something miraculous has taken place in the earth. Something miraculous has taken place in your life as you placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Many things have occurred in your life that you may not yet know or you may not yet understand. But as a result of being in him, one of the things that has happened is that you've been born into hope. You have a living hope. It's growing. It's thriving. And it's enlarging. And moment by moment, you're moving towards ultimately where Jesus will be all in all within you. 
You will resemble him exactly. You will be conformed to his very image, even beyond the finish line of time, even beyond the finish line of this world. You'll move on into that endless hope in him and God will be glorified as we are in him and we uh, resemble him exactly. This is the hope that we've been born into. This is the living hope that we have. And it's this hope, this living hope, that gives us a clear, confident expectation of good. Clear, confident expectation that good is going to happen in the future. Why? Because God holds it. For you as a believer. Clear and confident hope that we have in him. Now last week we looked at how hope gives us a wonderful advantage. Not only when we get to heaven, that's when our hope will be fulfilled. But this hope that we have This living hope that we've been born into gives us wonderful advantages in the world in which we live right now, day to day. I gave you three simple points as we looked at them through the scriptures. And I said to you, hoping God sustains our happiness. That may be a great revelation to you, but God wants you to be the most happiest person in all the world. He wants your life to be a vessel filled with joy. Paul, I believe it was said, he said that we have righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You're a joy carrier because the Holy Ghost lives inside of you. And hoping God sustains that happiness. And then secondly, we saw how hoping God supplies our health and then finally we looked at how hope in God secures our well-being just a little recap but God wants us to know that hope is powerful our happiness can be sustained our health is supplied our wholeness is secured and it's all in wrapped in this wonderful hope that we've been born into, this wonderful hope in which we live and have life. And it's all come about as a result of Jesus rising from the dead. Hallelujah. What a blessing this life is as it unfolds. What a blessing it is that our hope is in God whose promises never fail. He's not a man that he should lie, whose promises never falter. Even when we are faithless, Jesus said, you know what? I'll be faithful to you and I'll take you on through. You can't fail because he loves you and he loves me. Now today, what we're going to look at is another quality, another aspect of the nature of hope that we have in God. Paul the Apostle called it enduring hope. To Titus he said, it's a blessed hope or a happy hope. See, there's lots of different phrases that he uses in relation to this hope in order to describe its power 
and to describe how it unpacks itself in our lives. It's a blessed hope, he said. Timothy, uh, Titus, encourage everybody. A blessed, happy hope. But today, we're going to look at this phrase that Paul uses when he writes to a very young church, the church at Thessalonica. And he calls it an enduring hope. Let me read to you from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 to verse 3. Paul is encouraging these believers from Thessalonica about the enduring hope that they have in Jesus. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 2 to verse 3 says this, and it's Paul giving thanks to them, giving thanks for them. We always thank God for you all and pray for you constantly. As we pray to our God and Father about you, we think of your faithful work, your loving deeds, and the enduring hope you have because of our Lord Jesus Christ. Enduring hope, that's what Paul told these young believers, this young church that they had. Enduring hope. And it would be this enduring hope in Jesus Christ that would take them through any sudden disappointment that would arise. It would be this enduring hope that would take them through every unforeseen event that would come. Every out-of-control moment that they couldn't take hold of, that they couldn't control. Every, every eventuality of life that would come as a result of just following Jesus, it would be enduring hope that would take them through. You know, as God's people, we've been born into this hope. It's a living hope. It's an enduring hope that you have. It enables you to be strong when you feel weak. It enables you to continue on when you feel like giving up. It enables you to just keep on going in the face of adversity. David in the Psalms, I've said this many times, on one, on one occasion made this remark, through adversity you enlarged me. That's not normal. That's enduring hope. Adversity should diminish you. Adversity, especially the adversity that he faced, when you read about his life, should have broken him, should have, should have really damaged him mentally. You read about some of the words that were spoken over King David, just a young shepherd boy from Bethlehem. Read about some of the situations that hit his life. And yet as he looked back on all of the adverse situations of his life, as he looked back on all of those dark times, even the valley of the shadow of death, he said, I fear no evil because you are with me. He said, adversity, wow, I've had my share, but guess what? You've enlarged me. I see enlargement in my life as a result of the adverse circumstances and situations that I thought I'd never get through. You've pulled me on through. What is that? That's an enduring hope, a tenacity, a trust in God to get you through. When every way seems closed, think back on your life for a moment. Think back as a, as a believer, as a lover of God. 
probably most of us here, both young and old, have been following Jesus now, loving him for many years, number of years. I know there's many people here, many adults, and, and you've been on this journey for many years. How is it that you're here today? How is it, how is it that you're still following Jesus? How is it that your faith is still intact? How is it that when you hit a wall, the first thing you do is pray? Or you get out the promises of God and start believing them and start speaking to that wall uh, and telling it that it's got to move? How is it, child of God, that there's a consistency in your life in amidst all of the inconsistencies of life? I'll tell you how. Enduring hope. Enduring hope. Living hope. You've been born into this hope. You can't help yourself but keep loving God. You can't help yourself but keep following Him. You can't help yourself but keep standing in the midst of the storm. You just can't help yourself. Why? Because there's an enduring hope right through the center of your spirit that expresses itself as life tries to oppose you and hit you. And it's not all bad. We have the good times as well. But there's an enduring hope inside you as a result of Jesus Christ. That's how you know that the life of God inside you is miraculous in nature. Hallelujah. That's why you're still here. This hope endures. But just think for a moment about how careful Paul is in writing the words that he writes to this young church. He never detaches these words. He carefully puts them together. You see, it's not just about endurance, is it? The Bible just doesn't tell you just to endure. The Bible doesn't tell you just to grit your teeth and use your strength and get on through the circumstances that you face. No, endurance without hope will fail. Endurance without hope is not big enough for the giants that sometimes come our way. No, Paul is careful to use these two words together. Paul is careful when he talks to this young church that's facing a lot of pressure to tell them that they have an enduring hope in Christ Jesus. If all we have is endurance, we will fail. That's why Paul tells us that hope is attached to endurance and hope by nature has this resilience to endure. But if all we had was endurance in this life that we have in Christ Jesus, we would not be able to make it. It'd be a bit like making a decision to sail over the Atlantic Ocean in nothing more than an inflatable dinghy. If all you had was endurance, that's what it would be like. Picture that for a moment. You're going to make sail. You're going to go over the Atlantic Ocean. You've got all the plans and all the ideas and all the determination to get to the end of your destination. But what you've got is an inflatable dinghy, so you set sail. 
but probably not even half a mile out, the wind and the waves and the, the uncertainty of the sea would just, just capsize that dinghy that you're hoping in, that you're enduring with, and you'd be at the mercy and the power of the ocean. But enduring hope is completely different. It's not like that inflatable dinghy trying to cross the Atlantic Sea. If that's what endurance is like alone, enduring hope is like a vessel that's been made specifically for high seas. It expects the storm. It expects the darkness. It expects the sudden changes and the uncertainties in the weather, but it has been designed to go through quietly, steadily, restfully through all of the uncertainties ahead to get to its destination. That is what enduring hope is like. Jesus, let me tell you, is that vessel he is that vessel that we are in. It's not like this uncertain inflatable dinghy that's flimsy that falls at any storm or any high wave. Jesus is the vessel in which our life is in and that means that no storm, no dark night can ever threaten you get into your destination because Paul in Acts chapter 17 said this, in him we live, in him Christ Jesus, we move in him. We have our being. Jesus is the vessel of hope, enduring hope that takes us through every eventuality of life. It's not down to maintaining this gritted teeth endurance. No, it's an endurant hope that we have. And Paul was careful, very careful to let these young believers know that Jesus is the vessel that takes us through the storm, the high seas, and the changes that happen day to day. You know, recently I read a story, I was really encouraged by, a story about a man called Wallace Johnson. And Wallace Johnson worked in a sawmill. He'd worked in a sawmill from his youth. And for all of his life, that's all he knew was the sawmill. When he was 40 years of age, a recession started to occur. An economic down, uh, uh, decline started to happen. And the business started to change that he was in. To the point that his boss came to him one day and said... Wallace, I'm sorry, you know what's happening around. I'm sorry to bear the bad news that we're going to have to make you redundant. Initially, when he was hit with that news, he started to fear. Like you would, his mind, like our minds, just started to come to all of the conclusions that a rational mind would. What about the future? What about my family? I've got a wife and children. And now suddenly the career that I've been in for many years, the very career that has brought us security in years gone by has suddenly gone. It's like having the rug pulled from under you. 
He didn't know what to do. The shift ended. He was on his way home. And he didn't know what to say to his wife. Well, he walked in through the door. And as they sat at the tea table, he said, My love, I've got something to say to you tonight. She said, What is it? She said, Well, today... The boss has come to me and announced because of the recession and the economic climate that we're in, I'm having to be laid off. She looked at him and said these words, Wallace, what are you going to do now? What are you going to do like any good wife would? What are you going to do? Now, five minutes before Wallace comes in, and even just before Wallace sat down, he had no idea what he was going to do. No idea at all. But when faced with that question, suddenly, because he was a believer in Christ, his life was in the vessel on the sea that was very uncertain, and the waves were coming up, and the, 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 the landscape had been eclipsed by the darkness that he was in, but he was in the vessel in Christ Jesus. Suddenly, when faced with that question, up from his spirit came these words, well, I'm going to do what I've always wanted to do. His wife looks at him, says, well, what is that, Wallace? He said, well, now this is spontaneous, not foolish by the Spirit of God. He said, well, I'm going to remortgage the house. Surprise, surprise, because this is what you do, isn't it? I'm going to remortgage the house, and I am going to put the money into starting a construction business. I'm going to become a builder, a constructor, because this is what I've always wanted to do. His wife looked at him. They made the decision. He went and remortgaged the house, started his construction company, right? Now, remember, he's from the sawmill. He's not a builder. He, he doesn't know how to construct things, but he got his first job building two small hotels. And then suddenly, after those, more projects came his way. Favor came on his life. And God started to prosper what he was doing. Five years in, listen, five years in, he was a multi-millionaire. A multi-millionaire. And he had started and founded the great hotel chain, Holiday Inn. Later, he would say these words. Do you know what? When speaking to people, audiences, and telling them his story, he would say, if I could find the man who sacked me, not only would I shake his hand, I'd give him a huge hug because that man sent me, sent me into my destiny, sent me walking towards a course that God had for me, sovereignly planned for, me, for my life, and I'm doing what I'm doing now. And that man became the bridge into territory that God had called me to walk on. Now, many of us, probably all of us in this room, are not going to be a Wallace Johnson. That's not going to be our story. Maybe for some, who knows? Fantastic. But it's very unique. It's a very unique story. You couldn't 
copy it. But what encourages me in that testimony is that suddenly this living hope, this enduring hope came up out of the spirit of a man to bring direction to his family, direction to his life, to go through the storm, to get to the destination that God had promised and planned, and he did. Amen? What a blessing. When you look through the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament, you see men and women of faith cataloged down throughout the centuries who have had this enduring, living hope, taking them on, taking them through, moving every obstacle in their way. Yes, they had challenge. Yes, they had disappointment. Yes, they had things that confused them that they couldn't understand. But the enduring hope within them because they placed their trust in God and his promise took them on through. Took them on through. This is the hope that you have. This is the hope that is in your heart. It endures. There's no problem big enough to break it. There's no giant strong enough to diminish it. It bursts out of you. It flows out over you and anybody near you. This is the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, and when we look through the wonderful Word of God, you see people in impossible situations where the odds are hugely against them. But because of the enduring hope and the living hope that they have in God's Word, His promise, they come on through. Paul in Romans chapter 4, writing about Abraham. Now, Abraham is an incredible person. When you want to look about this enduring hope, holding a person, directing a person, enabling a person to do incredible things, a Abraham is a great example of this enduring living hope being in a life. Paul in Romans chapter 4, writing about Abraham who believed the promises said this. Let me read it to you. Romans chapter 4, verse 17 to 22. As it is written in Scripture, this is God talking, I have made you a father of many nations. In the sight of him in whom he believed, that is God, who gives life to the dead and calls into being that which does not exist. In hope, against hope, Abraham believed that he would become a father of many nations. And he had been promised by God, so numberless shall be your descendants, or so numberless shall your descendants be. Without becoming weak, in faith, he considered his own body now as good as dead for producing children since he was about a hundred years old. And he considered the deadness of Sarah's womb, but he did not doubt or waver in unbelief concerning the promises of God, but he grew strong and empowered by faith, giving glory to God. 
being fully convinced that God had the power to do what he had promised. Therefore, his faith was credited to him as righteousness or right standing with God. Amen. Abraham exemplifies this enduring hope, this living hope, directing his course all the way through his journey to the point of receiving everything that God had promised him. When you read in Genesis chapter 12, I believe it is, God called Abraham from Mesopotamia, a city that was established, a city that was very secure, a city where all of his roots had gone into. He was 75 years of age and God, the God of glory, Acts tells us, appeared to him and spoke to him. Do you know what God said? Get out of your country. Leave your father's house. Go to a land that I will show you. I will make you great. And in you, all of the families of the earth will be blessed. God spoke. Abraham believed and off he went. Now before he went, he had some explaining to do. Why? Because 75 years of history was in Mesopotamia and suddenly he uproots himself. Where are you going, Abraham? Well, I'm going not knowing where I'm going. Word of God says that. He went out not knowing where he was going. But he knew that God would direct him. God has spoken, so I'm going. Well, is it a house down the way? No. I'm not going to be living in a house. What do you mean you're not going to be living in a house? Well, I'm going to be living in a tent because I'm not going to settle anywhere. Can you, can you imagine how crazy that sounds? He went out not knowing where he was going. There was no permanent abode. He uprooted himself from the security that he had in his history to follow God. Finally, Bible tells us, Abraham gets into the land. Yes, I'm in the land. I'm an inheritor of the promise. This is where hope has led me. Do you know what happens the moment he gets into the land? There's a severe famine. Not just a famine, a severe one. Now this time in his life, in his history. What you see is this, that Abraham struggles like we would struggle. He looks out over the land that God had sent him to. Livestock is dying. Everything that's green is turning brown. There's a drought, a severe famine taking place. And what happens is he makes the decision to go down into Egypt. He momentarily struggles with this hope that's so enduring, that can take him through any problem, any crisis. He momentarily struggles to believe the promise that God has spoken, that God would secure him, that God would sustain him. And the Bible says that he goes down to Egypt. You know, when you leave your hope, you always go down, you always descend. And this is what happens in this part of his life. And he, you know, he lies about Sarah, his wife, because he's afraid now he's taking on fears. 
you, 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 you depart from this living hope. You momentarily depart from this hope that's so enduring. And you begin to take on fears and you begin to say things that are not true. And Pharaoh nearly dies as a result of it because his eyes are on Sarah, who he thinks is Abraham's sister. And God's about to kill Pharaoh because he ain't going to have anybody touch Sarah. Serious stuff. Pharaoh finds out about it, says, hey, Abraham, time to leave. But you know the amazing thing about God, God's grace, even when we're faithless, he's faithful. So Abraham leaves Egypt with more, with more, far more than which he entered in to with. He leaves, loaded. Pharaoh just wants to get rid of him. Get out. God's with you. He was about to kill me. And he just loads him with even more blessing. What happens? He goes back into the land of hope. He goes back into the land and repositions himself where God wanted him. And he sets up an altar and it's a sign of consecration. It's a sign of saying, hey God, I can't do without you. I can't live without you. I want you always to be at the center of my life. I'm setting up this physical altar and just reigniting my hope and saying that it's in you. And he goes on and he moves through season after season. But there's one promise that's gone unfulfilled that God said about and spoke into being right back in Mesopotamia. And it's the promise of him becoming a father. His name means exalted father. When anybody called his name, Abram, they would be saying exalted father, exalted father. But this father didn't have any children because his wife was barren. So his name was a contradiction to the word that God had spoken. But you see, God, as we saw in Romans 15, is the source of all hope. This hope is living. This hope is moving. This hope is growing and progressing. Time came when Abraham got a little bit impatient again. Sarah as well. And one night, maybe she said, hey, you know this promise that God's given us, Abraham, about you becoming an exalted father? You still haven't got anybody to carry on your name. It's so humiliating. You still haven't got anybody to leave your inheritance to. Do you know what I think, Abraham? I think we should help God out. What do you mean? Well, you see Hagar, your slave girl from Egypt... She was given to you by Pharaoh. I think probably a good idea if you slept with her. She could have a child and then we've got somebody who we can call our own. And through him, the earth can be blessed. That all transpires. Ishmael is born. Okay? Ishmael is born. He grows up year after year after year for 14 years about. Right? So everybody's happy. There's a bit of tension, quite a lot of tension between Sarah and Hagar. But as far as Abraham's concerned, the promise is fulfilled. I've got an heir to my household. Everything is well. Until God turns up to fulfill the promise that he'd spoken 25 years before in Mesopotamia. One day, Abraham is out doing what he's doing. And God turns up and says, hey, Abraham, guess what? Time's come to fulfill the promise that I spoke to you. 
back in Mesopotamia. I know you're a hundred years of age. I know that your body's as good as dead. And I know that Sarah being 99 years of age, her barren is still womb. Uh, her, bar- her womb is still barren. Her, her womb is still barren. And I know that it's completely impossible for you to bring this dream about. But that's why I'm here, Abraham. This is what this whole story is about, Abraham. When you can't do what you want done, that's when I step into the mix and do it for you. Show you my faithfulness. Show you how good I am. And I'm going to do it. What does Abraham do? He stands up in the face of God and he says these words. Oh, that you might bless Ishmael. See, Ishmael... They had created. Do you know what God said? No. That was it. No. And Abraham saw in that interaction the full character of God. He says yes, but he also says no. No. About this time next year, Abraham, Sarah's going to have child, and it's going to be the child of promise. Sarah is eavesdropping on the conversation. Naughty, naughty Sarah, right? She starts laughing uncontrollably at the promises of God. I mean, you'd never do that, would you? But God's cool with it. He doesn't mind. She just can't see it. She's 99 years of age. Her body's as good as dead impossible for any life to come out of her or any life to come from Abraham. He's a hundred. But Abraham, it says this, Abraham believed. Abraham believed. That's what we've read. In hope, in hope, against hope, Abraham believed. In hope, against all hope, against against it ever happening, against it ever coming into being, Abraham believed and he was not staggered. He did not waver at the promises of God, but he held anchor in the word of God. The same word that was spoken to him back in Mesopotamia was now revived and hope was alive. And in hope against all hope, he believed and God credited credited it to his account as being righteous. A year later, there's a new little baby in the family. Now the baby's been born through Sarah. And guess what the name is? Isaac, which means laughter. It's as if God was commemorating that moment where Sarah laughed in her tent. And now the laugh is on God. God is laughing and saying, every time you hold that little baby in your arms and call Isaac, you're going to be reminded of that event that I can do the impossible. I can do what you cannot do. I can even call a barren womb and call life out of it. And God does a miracle in their lives. What took them through? Enduring hope. Enduring hope. Another occasion, one of the Bible writers says, it's through faith and patience that we inherit the promises of God. Now, as we close today, lots of times in life, you and I face these in hope 
against all hope, moments. In hope, against all hope, moments. Just like Wallace Johnson. Just like Abraham and Sarah. In hope, against all hope, moments. I wonder today if you're in a situation where it's like you're in a in hope, against all hope moment. Maybe you've cried tears over your children. Maybe you hold hopes and dreams in your heart. The Word of God is inside you and you desire them to be everything that God's created them to be. You're in a in hope against all hope moment because everything you see transpiring in their lives seems to be going in the opposite direction to what God has spoken. Believe. Don't be discouraged. Abraham was there and many other of the servants of God down throughout time have been there. You hold on for your children because I'm telling you, in this in hope against all hope moment, God is going to do something in you and he's going to perform a miracle. And whether, it, whether it's in this year or 25 years or 30, 30 years later, all of the promises of God that you've spoken over their lives and cried privately in his presence are going to come to fruition. They really are. Or it could be in your body, you're sick. You're sick in your body. Or there's a, there's a health issue that you're believing God to help you with. You've, you have the promises of God. You're hopeful and it's this enduring hope that keeps you believing. But you haven't yet seen that health that others enjoy. You haven't yet seen that health that you so, so desire. You're in hope, but everything in your body is, in, is against the hope that you believe. Don't waver. God's going to do what he's told you he's going to do. He really is. And at the right time, just like Abraham and Sarah received that, that little baby Isaac from the deadness of their situation. Life came. Life is going to come. Healing is going to take place. And you're going to be made whole because God is the God of all hope. And he sees the hope in your heart. It could be, that, I mean, the list is endless, isn't it? It could be a job, a career, a dream that you hold in your heart. And you're in hope. But everything is against hope. Listen, you have an enduring hope, a living hope, a God who is the source of all hope. It's going to be just fine. You're going to come on through. You really are. Finally, let me say this. Quick story. A little bit over time, but I want to encourage you. Years ago now, and I've shared this before, but it's a good moment to share it again. Years ago, we were in a difficult period in Jesus Cares, let's say. <laughs> we had a warehouse full of food, but no boxes to deliver it. And uh, we were probably down to our last 150 boxes. We'd got through 25,000 boxes delivering them everywhere and it was such a blessing and 
I, I started getting on the phone, ringing places in Birmingham, Scotland, north of Wales. I, I mean, countrywide, I was phoning, phoning box manufacturers to see if they would support this work, this charity of Jesus Cares. Everyone, you know, everyone said, sorry, we can't support you. Sorry, we don't have what you need. One night, went home, sat on the couch with Faye. We were, we were living in Cumbran at the time. I said, man, Faye, I tried everything. I've, I've tried everything I can do to secure boxes. We can't afford to pay for the boxes. I mean, it was, the price is just so high. I don't know what we're going to do. Faye turned to me. She said, well, she said, this project is called Jesus Cares. Why don't we hand it over to him? I said, Faye, do you know what? Something happened, right? Something happened. I don't know if it was just like peace. And, and just peace to stop striving. Peace to just stop like driving this thing to get an answer and a solution. Peace settled in the room. I said, Faye, I, you're right. Suddenly, a little light bulb came on in my head. Jesus, you've got this. It's you. Future of Jesus cares doesn't depend on me. My God, it would have, it would have sunk after the first week. It's Jesus cares. Suddenly, I got it. Suddenly, I got it. So anyway, we just said a really simple prayer. Very, very simple. Childlike prayer. Jesus, you're going to look after the future of Jesus cares. You're going to get us boxes. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Do you know, within a few days, I got on the blower, right? I didn't realize that, listen to this now. I didn't realize that the second largest box manufacturer in the world is actually situated in Newport, down the docks. I didn't know that. I phoned a man up who became a great friend. I said, um, just wonder, you know, you go through the spiel. Wonder if you could, we would love to support that. Tell you what, no cold shoulder here. When God's opened the door and set it up, you get the red carpet. Why don't you come down? I'd love to meet you, show you around the offices, show you around, all around our manufacturing plant. I thought, my God, this is fantastic. We prayed this little, simple, childlike prayer. And now I get to walk on Jesus' behalf to make a connection with this company, the second largest box manufacturer in the world. Do you know what? We had over in excess of 150,000 boxes month in, month out, year in, year out to take the project right across Wales and we've never, listen, we, something happened in me that night. I've never worried about it since, never strived. Yes, worked. Yes, done everything we can to promote it and, and to, 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 for it to be everything that God's designed it to be, but never burdened by it because it's given to God. And, and it, hey, it's His anyway. What is that? Hope in God. A hope 
that endures a living hope in him. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you for your precious people today. I thank you for their wonderful open heart. What a joy it has been for me to sow the word, to sow the seed. It's been easy because the furrows of their heart have been plowed well. And they've opened their heart this morning. It's been easy to plant the seed today. It's been easy to cast out the word. And Lord, I pray that this word of hope, this enduring hope as it's been explained the best way that I can. I pray that it would hold your people, strengthen your people, take us on beyond any storm, onto the places that you've destined for us. Lord, I pray that we would be everything that you've created us to be in Christ Jesus. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, church, today. Have a blessed week with a blessed hope in Him. Amen? Amen.